Welcome to the Daily Headquist X Podcast, and I'm your host, Rob Headquist. As a change agent, I help purpose-driven individuals and organizations create their compelling future and bring it into the here and now so they can live it on a daily basis. You can find me on Instagram at coach underscore Ronin Awaken, and check out my website and program at headquistx.com. That's H-E-D-E-Q-U-I-S-T-X.com. Today is episode 65 of the 100-day consecutive Headquest X podcast challenge. I'm coming to you live, and it's another gorgeous day here in Seattle, Washington. This episode is titled, All Things Annie McKenzie, and I have the honor to interview my sister today. She's an amazing human being and a true fighter in every sense of the word. So without further ado, here's the interview, and I hope you enjoy. Joining me on today's episode of the Daily Headquist X podcast is Annie McKenzie. And first of all, Annie, um, thanks for being a guest today, and thanks for joining me coming all the way via the podcast from Vancouver, um, British Columbia. And we're talking via the phone. I'm down here in Seattle today. And Annie, I know you've got a great message. It's an important message for people to hear. And so I just want to go ahead and dive kind of dive into it right away. You know, you've got an incredible history uh, in the field of medicine. You've been a nurse for over 30 years now, and the majority of those years you've been specialized in the area of, of providing nursing services in the neonatal ICU, which is absolutely incredible. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in nursing and the work that you've done in neonatal ICU and um, what you think people may um, find important about that? Well, I started working, oh gosh, Rob, um, down in Seattle and I worked there for four years. And then my, I met my husband um, who was a, is Canadian and I moved uh-huh. up to Vancouver and I uh, had a baby, and so I deferred working for a year up here. And then I found a job in one of the hospitals, Lionsgate Hospital on the North Shore, that was close to home at the time. And and then I worked at a what I call a level two nursery. I worked at a level three nursery in Seattle, which is uh, really a critical care unit. And it managed okay. everything from mm, post-surgical to a lot of prems. And really, my meat and potatoes was prem babies. And so, that so when you say prems, what, so when you say sorry oh, to interrupt, pre- you, but when you say okay, go ahead, please. Premature, premature babies. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah. Thank you. For so that. anything, yeah. And the premature babies in Seattle uh, were um, very, very young, and and in very low birth weight and we took every anything at maybe 26 weeks um and above and that's changed and now now they take uh as young as 24 weeks so the 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 acuity has changed uh and so i left that and i married a canadian and moved up to vancouver and then i worked Mm -hmm. I've worked at Lionsgate Hospital since, and their their nursery is not as acute. Um, and what I mean by acute is in, in terms of challenging and the sicker the babies. Mm-hmm. So, okay. uh, 
I've worked there since, and I've taken, I'll just get back to that in a minute. So their, their level of care is uh, level two, and it's the same language as they use in the U.S. as, as in Canada. Mm-hmm. And a level two would be a baby that would be sick, but not, and it could be critically sick, but we wouldn't manage a baby that would be on a ventilator for a long period of time. We could do it temporarily until a team came in mm-hmm. and took that baby to Children's Hospital where they would okay. have further care. But you get okay. sick kids and you get sick babies that are compromised from deliveries. So I, and then I also teach uh, newborn resuscitation to staff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so really... And in, in your role as a nurse, and I, I think that this is important, and maybe we can just t- chat about it a little bit, is that, you know, I really see nurses in the healthcare system as being the backbone of the healthcare system, and, and they're really what's behind making the engine run on a daily basis. And so you being in a very specialized area working with premature babies, I would imagine that it takes, like, a team to be able to, really successfully manage and, and move those babies to a successful outcome. Can you tell me a little bit about the aspects of working together as a t- from a team approach and what you do? Yeah, it's, it's very collaborative because you have, especially in a, and, and just to note that I do more than, I guess our nursery does more than premature babies. They also do sick newborns. So okay. they, that could mean babies that are term babies and that have problems transitionally or they're, they have infections or so forth. So there's a lot of, we, but mostly we do premature babies. And mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a very, it, it is teamwork, especially during resuscitation, and that's one of the things I teach is it's all about communication mm-hmm. And um, especially in emergencies, because people's adrenaline gets going, and and communication, like any teamwork, is uh, is paramount. So, yeah, the teamwork is you're working with physicians, you're working with with other nurses, you're working with respiratory respiratory therapists. Um, I'm trying. I don't want to forget anyone. Uh, that's initially, and then you're working with social workers, and you're working with mostly important uh, your client, which is a baby, but also your client is parents. And uh, that's changed and evolved over the 30 years that I've worked because parents used to be kind of we told them what to do, and now it's way more. They're part of the team. They're part of the framework of getting that baby better. So I can't forget the parents <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I almost did that. Right. That was ridiculous. No, okay. They should have been. No, they should have been. Right. They should have been. They should have been forefront on that because, mm-hmm. and and the role in, for fathers has changed too. It used to be that fathers weren't as involved, and now they're super involved. You know, right. they're uh, that's changed. That role has changed amazingly, and I I love that. That's good. Yeah, that's no, a that's little fantastic. bit of what I do. Yeah, well, I, I, I love what you do because I, I find well, I find everything about you just so all the listeners know. And tr- full transparency, um, Anne's my sister, and she's a, she's been a great source of inspiration to me, not only personally but from from what she does from a work perspective and working with these um, you know neonates um, you know at a very young age. Because you know, Anne, I mean, everything that you do is around 
you know, ensuring that the, the, the child has a greater possibility of continuing to, to live. And there's got to be just an incredible amount of deep satisfaction that comes from being involved in that on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I don't. And people, a lot of people ask me, "Is this is this so sad?" And I go, "Well, no. It's. I think it's the most incredible part. Not to get too morbid, but the most, you know, two huge transitions in life are, are birth and death, right? And I mm-hmm. thank goodness I'm around for the birth component of it because I, I never get tired of seeing a baby being born. Uh, it, it can be sad, but I've had, I've had a few ba- well, I've had more than a few babies die on me. But I think that, in general, the whole concept of, of transitioning into life is so incredible mm. to go from a, a really a, a, a being that's water-dwelling to taking the first breath, first breath and having that cord clamped and a few other things that actually... What a transition. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's the hardest thing the human body does, and I think it's to be part of that, I'm getting kind of crazy here, <laughs> is pretty <laughs> phenomenal. Good. Yeah, right. no, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's so beautiful to watch. Even in the sad situations, it's, it's still a beautiful thing to behold. So I don't know. You never get tired of seeing it. And, and so is, would you say, so what would you say is like the, the biggest driver for you then, you know, to go into this incredibly stressful environment day in and day out working with, you know, these neonates because it, it, it's an incredibly stressful environment. And so what, what's been the driver that like gets you out of bed and excited about the opportunity? Well, I think it's a it's a new di- well part of my job is I would say eighty percent is pretty rote. It's pretty mundane, you know, feeding babies, watching them, you know, get to the point where they can get home is really our goal and objective, um, and normalizing them really because Children's Hospital does the really the critical acute stuff, and usually the babies are transitioned back to us, and we just need to get them bigger so they can go home. And then we okay. deal with that 10% of the emergencies where we have to be on top of your, of your game so you can actually move them and transport them to uh, the level three nursery. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's – uh, oh, sorry, what was the question, Ralph? I kind of got the track. So the qu- no, it's, no it's, it's, it's great. It's, so the, the question really is r- around, you know, what motivates you about this – um, this career calling that you've had in your life um, to, to be a nurse, what motivates you to get out of bed every day to go into this stressful work environment where you're working with these neonatal uh, in the neonatal ICU? Well, I think it's, it's uh, you have to have a, I, I think you have to really be empathetic and compassionate. Um, I think that that's part of it. I don't think you can be a nurse without that. I think you also have to be Am I answering the question? Um, and I think great. that you have to be organized. Um, you have to be super organized. Uh, you, have to, you have to believe in science, too. You have to deliver really good evidence-based information to parents 
and to your and to your teammates too, right? So uh, I think being um, a teacher, always going to be a teacher as a nurse. You're constantly teaching, constantly giving information. Uh, you're mentoring your peers. You're mentoring young nurses that are coming into the field. They watch you. They see how you do procedures. Um, so I think it's exciting because it's never it's never the same day. I mean, there are same there are some shifts that are the same. They're a little bit boring. They're a little bit you know the kind of the same thing. But in generally, uh, work is never the same day. And I think that's what's so exciting. Yeah. So so I can totally see why that's exciting. So so it's never the same day. So because it's never the same day. What kind of mindset have you been required to show up with then when you, when you show up on a daily basis since it's not going to be the same every day? What's, what, what, what kind of mindset have you brought to bear in order to, to maximize the opportunities for yourself inside of the day, knowing that there's going to be obviously a lot of uncertainty, a lot of shifts, a lot of changes throughout the day? Well, I, I just mentioned one, is you have to be mm -hmm. super organized. So you okay. have to be, in your thoughts, you're organized in your thoughts and kind of your actions as well. Um, mm -hmm. There's also, I mean, gosh, what else would I would be? You have to leave your, your life behind you, right? So mm. you, if there's anything going on at home, you just can't bring it to the table. And it's, it's, um, it's two-pronged with that because it's actually a really good distraction from problems that are happening at home as well. You just don't have okay. time to think about problems you might be having personally, and nor mm -hmm. can you bring those to the table when you're at work either. Uh, parents are on to that stuff right away. And so are your, your teammates too. I mean, just your teammates, your other nurses, and your whole team is on to that if you're not – you're not performing optimally. I mean, let's face it, Rob, you know, no one's perfect, right? And you're not, certainly nurses are not perfect. And sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we're stressed with what's going on in our lives. Um, but I find that once I dig in and I get going with my, my clients and my babies and my families, that that mm -hmm. all kind of drops away. And I'm able to try to be try to give them 100%. It's not always the case, but you just do the best mm -hmm. you can. Well, I know that you've been obviously incredibly successful over the years, and so you've, you've done a remarkable job, and that's one of the pieces that um, you know, I find so inspiring um, with you and, and, and how you've lived, lived your life and, and the incredible success you've not only had in your career, but as a mother and, um, um, and as a wife inside of your marriage. And so I just want to shift gears just a second, and so let's talk about challenges in your life. Um, what would you consider to be your greatest challenge to date, and how have you navigated that? Well, well, I've had a lot of challenges, but I, I think that, you know, in terms of, well, I guess the biggest challenge I think I've had is cancer, right? And the mm -hmm. cancer that's um, come back, well, I've had it once. I had it 13 years ago, and then I it resurfaced again last summer of 2018. Right. right. And uh, metastasized to brain and to um, to lung and to bone. And 
I think it was completely unexpected. Uh, I, I don't. I think we felt like we were out of the woods, and it just kind of reared its head again. So um, it's <laughs> it's been a hard. I would say okay, twelve months, uh, sixteen, eighteen months. It's been difficult. Right. So I know it's been, I know it's, um, you know, and you and I have spent a lot of time talking over the last 16 to 18 months about this, and I, I think this is really, really great for the, for the listeners to, to, to hear this, but w what have you done? You know, you, you effectively were diagnosed with cancer. Um, you went through some, so, so you went through a lot of therapy around clearing it out of your body, and then boom, here it is, 13 laters. It's unexpected. It's come back. And what have you done to really, I guess, move forward to fight this? Because I, because I know that there, there were some periods of time where, where you know, you had mentioned that, that, that it was challenged. It was a challenge to get up for the fight, but I know you did, and so it may be helpful for people to understand how you did that. Okay, um, yeah, and I think okay. So we talked about this um, when I was first rediagnosed. Okay, so uh, I'll just tell people how it happened. So. I, uh, I was out hiking. It was summertime. I was in Spokane. I was with my brother and my husband, and I had a seizure when we were hiking. Um, and I had had some symptoms prior to that, but they were all something I was going to have checked out, but there were some other things going on in my life and at work, um, and then I just kind of got distracted and didn't pay attention, right? And so mm -hmm. you got to pay attention to your body. And I was right. paying attention, but I was paying, not paying attention as, as I should have. And um, I had what they call, uh, I had a visual disturbance, like, and, and subsequently I know what they are, so I'm not so freaked out when they happen, and they happen periodically now. But mm -hmm. I, essentially it had to do with the lesions in my brain. And mm -hmm. they couldn't, so I had, uh, I was out, and I was, hiking with my brother and my husband and I had a seizure. They had to call the ambulance. I woke up in the hospital uh, and at that point I knew. So I'd never had a seizure in my life and never had seizure disorder and I felt that at that point my cancer had come back. But I was right. pretty out of it. So we got back to Vancouver and I went through the diagnostic period which is always the most difficult and the most scary, right? Um, and then we found out that I had metastasized to my brain and to bone, and there was a spot in my lung. So I had, um, so that's, and then, <laughs> yeah, so uh, now we've kind of moved into, do you want to know any more about that? <laughs> I don't know. No, but, well, I think, I think the important thing is, 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 is that you made the decision that you were gonna that you were gonna fight this and get back into fight mode around yeah, yeah, um, right. around 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 your diagnosis and and I know that was a hard decision for you and but you got into it and you've gotten your yourself both mentally and physically to the point where um, you feel like there's going to be a great outcome for you so so well I think uh, you know but, we've always talked about and because I, I have four brothers. 
um, and I was plucked down in the, you know, I was born in the middle of four of them. I've always felt like I've been a scrappy little thing, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm not really little either, but I feel like I've always kind of been feisty, and maybe that's been part this of it. This is true. But, yeah, <laughs> this is true, but and maybe that's been allowed me to survive. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think that's part of it. It's probably what we talked about, the spirit and the character, or you call ethos, right? So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think... You, I once said to you, and um, throughout all of this, because you said to me, what do you want? I remember you asking me, what do I want? And I said, I want to live. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I was going to live, I have to live. Um, it was, I want to live. And I think those, right. that's very powerful because you all of a sudden switch from, um, desperation to desire oh. I, and I think that that's that's kind of I, it, it's taken me a long time to understand that that it, it, the, the desire I don't know if I'm going to live right I, I don't know I look really bad on paper but I'm still here but I, I think it's the desire to live and that that scrappiness and that feistiness of that's maybe allowed me to live or helped mm. me to live. So I think yeah, that, you're, you're, uh, a, a mantra or a mission statement, I don't think that was it. I think it was like, I want to live. I, I mm. really want to live. And So, and, but, so would yeah, you say it was a self-affirmation, Annie? Possibly. But, you know, with a self-affirmation, it, it, it's... Um, it's hard because with with I want to live comes how do you go about living and um, so it's not um, you know butterflies and lemon drops I have to take medications that don't make me feel good I have to every three months be scanned I have to get blood work I have to make this kind of a full-time job and right. my jo- my life as it was is not there anymore. It's it's I have my family, my friends, and I have a new life, but it's not the life I had. And I no longer can mm-hmm. work in the newborn intensive care unit. Um, I'm still teaching, which is good, but I think it's it's uh, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's hard because it's not it's not your normal thing. It's not your old life, and you're tr- constantly transitioning to this new life. But I think what's important is I'm alive, and how I get there is that desire to I want to live. And so you you put like you said you put this plan in motion, and you act on it. And how do you act on it? Is you basically show up, and you show up every day. And you get your ass out of bed every day. And believe me, there's times I don't want to get out of bed. Right. Um, and I, th- I think that's it. You just show up. And like I said, and it also brings a sense of responsibility and um, that I'm not only fighting for me, but I'm fighting for my family. I'm fighting for my girls. I'm fighting for my friends, right? And yes. it becomes... It becomes a village, kind of, um, and that's 
so even though cancer has some really black, bleak moments, and it continues, right? It just it's there's some there's some really good positive things that come out of cancer as well. That is a beautiful message, Anne, and um, it's you know your your courage and strength around it. And, uh, you know, as I told you before, I, I continue to tell you it, it is inspiring to me and to other people out there to watch you navigate this and to watch you move through this with grace and with dignity. It's um, yeah, it's it's uh, I just it's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, okay. and so I. You know, Annie. I think I think you know. You know, based upon, you know, obviously what you've said. I mean, I would assume that one of your and and I sh shouldn't make an assumption, but I'm going to say it anyways. I would assume that you know one of your greatest successes in life would 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 have to be around you successfully beating cancer the first time around, and then successfully beating it the second right time around to date, and so. But I may have that wrong. So, what do you consider your greatest success in life to date? Oh, um, hmm. Oh, well, I mean, that should be an easy answer because I think it's really um, a marriage of 29 years and um, mm. my two daughters, right? Okay. I, I think those those are my greatest successes. Um, I think, uh. yeah. Um, I mean, cancer is is always looming for me, right? And how I, and, and that's a struggle, right? That's a struggle. And how do I stay on task? And how do I stay, you know, <laughs> how do I stay? And, you know, it's, it's, you still have life that unfolds. You've got cancer, but it doesn't stop for life, right? And you still have to work at your relationships. And you still have right. to work at, you know, your family. And, I think that's maybe more the success, right, is me trying to, yeah, beat this, but I don't think I'm going to beat it per se. That's not the right answer. I think it's, it's a, it's, now it's like a chronic illness that I just have to mm -hmm. not so much beat but manage, Rob, manage. Okay. Because, I, I, you, know, I, you know, statistically, I don't know. I've never added, asked statistics about myself. I just don't go there probably because mm -hmm. I'm the world's bi biggest chicken. Um, and, again, that's one of the things that I struggle with is the fear, right, the fear that surrounds cancer. And right. how, do you, how do you get past that? And I, I think I'm continuing to try to figure that out. So fear is one of the – and fear holds you back, right? I mean, knowledge is power, mm -hmm. but it's the fear that kind of drives us into really not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. Right. And so 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 with you know having that underlying fear I don't think I answered fear, your question at all. <laughs> no, no, it's uh you you did. You did and you did. I so I think that that you know the the follow-on question would be you know how do you deal with the fear on a daily basis so you do get out of bed so you do go see the doctor so you do do the things that you can do uh to fight and to continue to stay in the fight. So, how do you deal with the fear? Well, you go back to two, you go back to one thing, right? Is that you go back to, I want to live. And I, I've, you know, people always kind of forget that I want to live, and I, to I want to live, um, brings in that whole host of things. Okay, so I want to live. So how am I going to do this? I have to put it, have a plan in motion. 
and my plan in motion is I have to see my physicians, I have to see, I have to take my blood work, I have to take my medication every day. I have to be faithful to that. And that's, I mean, there's no guarantees, right? There's just no guarantees. And I, it's, that's, but that's the only thing I really have in terms of I want to live and how do I put it in motion? And the best thing I can do is just kind of working with my team, and I have the most amazing team at the BC Cancer Agency. Um, right. They know way more than I do. I trust them. Um, I don't always like them, but I trust them. Okay. They, they've been at this for a long time, and uh, and I and that's that's the other thing is that you ha- you form your team. You know, you form your team, first of all, being your professionals with cancer. And second of all, you, you form your team with your, your family and your friends. Mm. And, mm. Um, I mean, my family has been unbelievable, right, in terms of rallying around me and encouraging me. Um, they call me on my stuff all the time, and I think it's good. I think it's really good. You need to hear that. Fantastic. So, is it, yeah. so you know, uh, so so Anne, up to the, so up to this point in time, you know, you're talking a little bit about your life and the success you've had with, with obviously your marriage and your, my your two incredible daughters, my nieces, and um, is there anything that you would change around your life or how you've approached it? Is there anything you would have done differently? Uh, well, I think yes. Definitely. I, I think that after I was, well, first of all, I would have been more proactive maybe with um, maybe, okay, this is, I, I'm getting back to the cancer here. Uh, okay. I think cause this is probably what I would change. I would probably have been more proactive genetically. Um, and again, remember, I'm speaking from 2019 because a lot of things 13 years ago were not, uh, they didn't have the same, and the treatments that they have now are completely different as well. I probably would have had with my, well, I probably would have been more proactive prior to getting cancer. I probably would have had more diligent screening prior to cancer, knowing my mom had cancer, had breast right. cancer. Um, I think we could have done better uh, genetic testing prior to that, but again, Maybe not because maybe the genetic testing wasn't really available after our mom passed away from breast cancer. Right. But saying that, I probably would have been more diligent um, like I am now and not been so fear-driven, right? Because really, it, it, that's probably, and I'm a procrastinator. That's what I am by nature, right? I, I procrastinate. And so I'm always better when I'm organized. And so if I would have been more organized around my illness, I probably should have not done night shifts. That probably was a tipping, uh, maybe tipped me over. Maybe it could have been the work. You know, it could have been I was in a stressful job that maybe it wasn't the right job for me in terms of, you know, I don't know, Rob, was it the perfect storm that kind of, you know, launched me into breast cancer? I don't know. Probably it was a bit of genetics. Probably it was a bit of work it could have been a lot of things right but i probably would have been better i would have been better more diligent with my health i think and then um and i probably i probably would have been i think the second time around i didn't really change my life right i didn't change my life and i should have changed my life 
because I think all of the things that were there prior to the first time, the first time with um, breast cancer, I didn't really change. I didn't change my job. I didn't really stop doing night shifts. I did, subsequently did, but I didn't, um, I probably didn't get, you know, I probably should have started yoga before that. <laughs> you know, like, I, okay. I, you know, I really, I'm, I think that, you know, there is probably some ways to, you know, do maybe be more calm. I think that those are some of the things you look back and you go, I think probably should be more proactive with my health. Okay. Well, I mean, go go ahead. And and not ignore, and not ignore the symptoms. Right. Because I'm I'm just surprised to hear that because... Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, because I'm surprised to hear that because I've never seen you as one as to to ignore your health. I mean, you know, you've you've been active, you know, uh, in, in in sport, so to speak. You know, uh, uh, you you've been you've run, you've walked, you've skied, you've kept yourself in great physical shape, um, and um, I and you know your diet's always been good, and so and so. I'm just, that's an area that I'm a little bit surprised at, but I also appreciate it as well because I think when I've had major illnesses in my life as well, one of the things I look back on and say, boy, was I really diligent about my health to the degree that I should have been or could I have been, could I have done something different that would have given me a different potential outcome? And so I think that that is something that goes through our minds at times when we come up with a significant illness. Yeah, but, you know, I think it's also important that we don't blame ourselves, right? I mean, oh, I've gone over this. I, I think point. it's really important because really good someone point. asked me, well, why do you think you, you know, you tore your MCL skiing last year? Or why do you think you got bit by a dog last year? And I go, yes. hell if I know, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> and neither was neither was cancer my fault, right? And right. And I don't think that... You know, I probably could have been more proactive, Rob, in getting, but could I have actually prevented the whole thing? I'm not sure, but I I just, I can't blame myself. And I think that's what's important. And a lot of people with cancer blame themselves. I mean, I don't smoke. I don't take drugs. I I hike. I ski. I do all the important things. Um, I So I, I can't really say, People have said to me, Annie, this is not your fault. And I think that that's super important to, to arrive at, that it's not my fault. How I that's react to message. it is my fault, but it's not my ah, fault. <laughs> it's a great message, Anne. It's really a great message. So we're getting kind of close to the end of our interview sure. time here. So just one final question for you. So sure. what's the one piece of advice you've been dying to tell the world but haven't up until this point right now on this interview? Oh, um, maybe I told the world. I I think uh, the second thing I wanted to say when you asked me kind of how I've survived all this uh, Hmm. is, um, and I said the first thing was I want to live, and the second thing is movement, right, and and the importance of, of getting up and moving, right? And I think that's the important message is that, Get, getting your feet out of the bed and moving, and just moving and showing up, right? That's, is that the message I need to tell, is that you really you, we heal better when we move, we're better people when we move, 
and, and just move. Our, we've just become so sedentary. And I think that talking and walking and being with people and hiking, so that's always been a real important value for me. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the reasons I've survived as far long as I have, is I, I just move all, chronically all the time. Yes, so, you are active. There's no doubt about it. You're incredibly so active. I, I think activity, and I, I, I could say that, you know, I, a lot of people want to hear that don't sweat the small stuff, you know, live every day. It's like it's your last, and I do believe in that. But a lot of times right. we get wrapped up in that. Um, even with cancer, we get wrapped up in the, the, the trivial things of everyday life. It doesn't matter if you have cancer or not, right? It's still the same mm-hmm. things that get us bogged down even with cancer, and sometimes they're even amplified. So, I, yeah, right. I could say don't sweat the small stuff because that's really, tr- really true. It's true. You know, we just get bogged down in stuff that's really not important. And uh, it, it does take a... Uh, it is take cancer and facing your own mortality really realize that. And also important that you love your family and friends and that's there's nothing else in life. That's what it is, Rob. It's your it's your family and your friends. And 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 yeah. That's all we have. I love it. That's a great <laughs> message, Ann. Really, really great. I really so appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast today and, and talk about your experience, um, not only as a nurse, but also more importantly, your experience with cancer, and to, to like open that up to the audience and, and really talk about it from a very honest and vulnerable place. And I just uh, love and appreciate you so much. So thank you so much for being on today's podcast. Is there anything you want to say in closing? No, I, but I love and appreciate you too. Oh, thank um, you, thank you, Annie. Yeah, no, thank how can, you. How can people Rob, reach you? How, are you on, yeah, are you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram, yeah. Yeah, so how can people reach you on Instagram? Oh my gosh, Rob, what is my profile? I think. Oh gosh. Hold on, honey. Sorry, I'm not hurrying through this, am I? We have time. Well, they can email me. How's that? That's always the best way. Okay, great. Do you want to use Instagram? Uh, you can use great. Instagram or email. However you would prefer people to contact. You know, if they, they listen to the podcast and they want to reach out to you, what would be the best way well, for them to I, reach I'm you? on Instagram. It's Mackenzie Ann Marie one Okay, Mackenzie Anne Marie one on Instagram. Yep, and Mackenzie M A C K E N Z I E Anne Marie one at gmail dot com. Fantastic. So they can reach either via Instagram or on on uh, uh, through email in your Gmail account. And yeah. Anne, thank you yeah. so much for for um, for being for being the guest today, and and as I said before, for being open and vulnerable and really providing some incredible insight uh, into, into being a fighter and the resilience that's associated with that and also to be an incredible person and an incredible human being. So thank you. Thank you, Rob. I love you. Thanks for your time today and listening to today's episode. 
Feel free to leave comments for me on my Facebook page. You can find me at HeadQuistX, or you can direct message me on Instagram at Coach underscore Ronin Awaken. That's Coach underscore R-O-N-I-N-A-W-A-K-E-N. Thanks again, and have a great remainder of the day.